Well, I must confess that when we are engaged in the Word of God in our lives, it changes us. It brings searching light in our hearts. I know many of you have experienced that. Maybe some of you haven't yet. But as you come to the Word of God, the fact that we sang whiter than snow, we sang in Christ alone, that's what the Word of God is about. It's not a dusty old book that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago that it doesn't really have a relevance to us. Even that which is written in the old, old times is written under the inspiration and direction of an eternal God. What does eternity mean? Have you ever thought about that? We were talking with our, she was about, oh, she was eight or nine. And we were talking about eternity. And she says, oh, that makes my brain hurt to think about what eternity is. And she's right. If we really think about it, we're so time bound. Some of you didn't get in here right on time this morning. That doesn't matter. You got here. We're so time bound, aren't we? Of course, it's, it's convenient for us. I love the trains in Japan. Well, not the ones in Tokyo, but the ones that are in the rest of Japan that are by the minute, and you can stand there and you can check your watch, and whoosh, here comes this train, and you get on it. It's amazing. We are so time-bound that eternity for us seems to be something that is out there somewhere. But you know what? Eternity is right in this room. It is right in this room. So the things that happened thousands of years ago, particularly with the eternal God, have come to being in our time-bound frame of mind. Now, does that hurt your brain to think about that? And that's what is ahead of us as well. Particularly if we are in Jesus Christ, we will experience things with him for the rest of eternity. And this is just the beginning. That is amazing. We are studying a book that takes us into that experience of going right in behind the curtain and seeing what God is about. We are so taken up these days, or at least I am, and I trust that you are, taken up with this book of Hebrews. Katie always said that it was her favorite book, and I'm beginning to agree with her that it's mine as well, and I trust it will be for you as well. We're looking to Jesus. This is number five of our Hebrews study. He is able. He's the one who stepped into our time frame. Hebrews 2, 10 to 18. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect 
the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And this is the outline we're going to follow, Lord willing. For it was fitting for him to share in flesh and blood. He had to be made like his brethren. And then with a conclusion on the last verse. Father, bless your word now, we pray in Jesus' name. For it was fitting for him and verses uh, 10 to 13, for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. It was fitting for him, for whom all things and through all things. Let's just stop for a minute. Who is the him here? Who is the him that the writer of Hebrews is referring to, for it is fitting for him. Is that Jesus? That would be the Sunday school answer. Let's let's look at another verse. Let's back up to verse 9, which we had last week. But we do see him who is made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Okay? Who is that him? It says plainly, doesn't it? It was Jesus. That, so we do see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angel, for a little while. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Then we go into verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things. Do I have any guesses or answers? Who is the him, the last him there that we read? It's fitting for him. Well, let's keep going. Nobody wants to take a chance. It was fitting for God the Father for whom are all things and through whom are all things. 
it is fitting for God the Father. In other words, it is consistent with his nature of who he is. You might uh, see your wife or your girlfriend or your sister or your mother in a very nice dress and say, that's becoming of you. It's becoming of God for whom all things and through whom are all things. It is just like him. And what is just like him? That he brings many sons to glory. It befits him. He wants to share his glory and he desires to spotlight his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, he says. So it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things. In bringing many sons to glory. We were fallen. We were not sons at all. We were away from God until he came and reached out to us and made us his own. It's fitting of that kind of God to make a way to him. And that way was a very certain way, a very narrow gate. The only way. There is no other way to enter into the glory of God. It's befitting of him because he is the Holy One. He is the unapproachable one. He is so holy and we are so unholy. How could we possibly imagine to have a conversation or a relationship with the God Most High, the Most Holy One? Impossible. But yet, it's a reality. And that is what we're going to discover and see and understand this morning. In bringing many sons to glory is an astounding statement. It is also a statement concerning the great cosmic battle that is raging and has been raging since the beginning of the creation of man and even before. And that battle is against good and evil. And so many, 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 many authors have tried to write stories to kind of explain this or show this cosmic battle. And some of them don't even know about the Bible. And they were writing about the epics of man against evil and a being against evil. It's in our DNA as human beings to understand that. Nobody lives, I don't think, unless you're really an ultra-optimist and you just think, oh, isn't everything just so nice today? I love today. No, nobody lives in a bubble like that. We all know that there's hardship in our lives, don't we? We understand that there's something this edgy that is out of sync in our lives. And it's not just you broke a glass and that was an accident or you spilled coffee on your on the carpet. Did I spill coffee there? Sorry. The the truth is things happen. 
bad things happen. But it's not by chance. It's by purpose. You remember our teaching a year or so ago, do not eat of this tree, lest you die. That was a principle. And an enemy came and whispered in a human being's ear, you won't die. You're not going to die. In fact, God knows that if you eat of it, you'll be like him. Profound, profound lie. The number one lie. In bringing many sons to glory. Many sons to glory. Many sons. Oh, we know a song about that, don't we? Father Abraham has many sons. I don't even know it. No, it's not a ditty. It is not a a song, a Sunday school song. This is the absolute truth of what God was determined, a holy determination, that there would be many sons and daughters. When we say sons, please don't think that's a sexist term. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God if we put our trust in Jesus Christ. This is important stuff, folks. This is why I feel like I've touched on stuff that I don't even know how to preach. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, Jesus, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. What an incredible statement that is. And we all should say amen to that. To perfect the author of their salvation. Okay, what does this mean? Get a hold of this. To perfect the author of their salvation. And as I've got there in parenthesis, it actually means not to make perfect, but to complete his story, to complete what he has done, to fulfill it, to make it happen. The author, the captain, is actually what that word in Greek actually means, the captain. He's the soldier. He's the general. He's the commander-in-chief. He's the one who is in the forefront, pushing back the enemy. We're not doing that. Don't think that you are pushing back the enemy in your life. No, absolutely not. You don't stand a chance. And that's what Eve and Adam, by the way, who was standing right there next to her, possibly, and he was doing what guys do. Guys are in a box, thinking about nothing. Well, she's being tempted. He should have been right there with her. And together, they could have stood the captain of our salvation. 
For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. For both he... And this is a little bit confusing sometimes in reading Hebrews, and that's maybe why I struggled so long in appreciating this book, because I could not sort out the pronouns without spending some very deep time understanding what the pronouns are and who they're speaking about. So this one even, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one Father. Okay, who's the he? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who sanctifies. And those who are sanctified? All those who put their trust in Jesus Christ and the provision that God has given in the Lamb of God. He is not, who is that he? So there's two he's here. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. In this context here in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is quoting and quotes quite a bit from the Old Testament. I proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Okay, I'm going to ask the local MCC rabbi on the spot. Okay. Where does that quote come from, Mel? Which one are you talking about? I will proclaim your name to my brethren. To my brethren. Yeah. My brethren. Psalm 22. Oh, Psalm 22. Oh, you have it right there. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it just flipped open that page. Yeah, lucky, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a messianic psalm. Yeah. This is... If you read that whole psalm of Psalm 22, it's talking about Jesus. And it's talking about him on the cross. So do you think it's just an accident that somebody made up about a coming Messiah and that he would hang on a cross or he'd he'd be suffering for his people? No. No. This was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And the disciples didn't even make it up. It was in the word of God in that messianic psalm. And even the priests and the Pharisees and all those who worshipped Judaism in a Judaistic style knew that that is talking about the Messiah. And here is what the writer of Hebrews pulls out for us as evidence that this plan was from the beginning of time. Let's go on read. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Who's he talking about there? This is talking about Jesus and we. We are part of this conversation. That is written in Isaiah 8. And Isaiah 8 is also in the story of the coming Messiah. So it also is messianic, pointing to Jesus, corroborating the plan of God. And that's why the word of God is so 
important. It's all bound together. And you can't separate it. Don't you just love it? It was fitting for him to share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. Through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He himself likewise also partook of the same. We as human beings share. We have fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word. Having fellowship, like sitting at at the table and eating together. Having fellowship even during this message. This, I trust, our time together, isn't that we're all just sitting and listening to me. This is a conversation that we're having. That's what I like about not being just uh, on the radio or reading it off a script. I like to have interchange with you. And as we fellowship, as we talk about this, and even as my wife comments back to me, that's fellowship. Your nods, your smiles, your amens, your your (laughs) questions, that's what we should be doing. Fellowshipping around the word of God. And this is what Jesus did for us. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is a fantastic passage here and I would recommend that you look at that whole passage of Philippians and see how Paul describes what happened in Jesus becoming a man and taking part with us. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. To share in flesh and blood might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Anybody know who said those words? Who said that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It was Jesus in the temple. Yes. What day was it? What day was it? I happen to know that that was the day of the reading of Isaiah 61. Because that's how they read the scrolls. It was by the designated part of the Torah that they were to read. And Jesus happened to walk along and he came to Galilee and it just happened to be that that Saturday morning he decided to go to the synagogue where? In Nazareth. In Nazareth? What do we know about Nazareth? Is where Jesus was born? No. He was called a a Nazarene. Why? He grew up in that town. He grew up in Nazareth. And so he goes to his hometown synagogue. And he walks in on that particular Saturday. And the reading 
was Isaiah 61. And so Jesus stands up because he was over the age of 30. Hey, he's qualified to be the preacher of the day. And he is handed the scroll. And so he opens it and he reads it. And the exact words that he's reading, this, this gets me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Powerful words. And they knew exactly what was in that of Isaiah 61. Spirit of the Lord anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Coming into relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ brings such a huge release from the fear of death. Satan knew how to get to humanity. Somehow or other, he understood that human beings were mortal. I don't know how he knew that, but he was hiding that as a secret, that if they would sin, they would die. If they would go against God's command, they would die. And of course, that was written many years later in the Mosaic Law. But Satan understood that in disobedience, if we disobeyed, we would be cut off. You would be cut off. Serious stuff. And he foisted that on humanity. And that's where his power was. And that's where his power is today. Is he wants you to go against that which the Spirit of God is speaking to you and his word is speaking to you so that you will enter into death where he is. But Jesus had proclaimed, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And Jesus came to the earth for that purpose, to set the captives free. Okay, here we get into some very interesting things, and I will probably take about another half hour. Is that okay with everyone? Yeah. <laughs> no, this, this is good. He had to be made like his brethren, the title says, and the, the verse says it as well. In all things, and in things pertaining to God. Let's just read that again. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Had to be means it was of necessity. There was only one way. This was a prescribed way in which Jesus would, or, or the Messiah would come into the world. It had to be. As in, 
going all the way back to Genesis 3 and Jesus covering the naked, shamed couple in the hide of possibly a lamb that was slain and they were clothed. And I haven't mentioned this for, I don't think for quite a while. You who have Japanese background, the kanji, gi, that is very, very important. That is a picture for us, a picture for Japanese. Talk about it with your family. Muse about it. Muse means think or meditate about it. The lamb over ware is righteousness. That is not an accident. Somebody purposely drew that. And that was the significant thing. When we talk about a person being righteous, that was the standard. Well, it's okay, you know, it was just a little sin. It, it, was, it wasn't hurting anybody. So I stole that cookie. Well, Mom, there was a whole pile of cookies there. I just only took one, says the four-year-old. In my case, it was a three-year-old. This is, this is serious stuff. We laugh at that. We kind of, oh, well, my cookies are so good that he just couldn't resist them, the mother thinks. And he's such a nice little boy anyway. No, one day he'll do something worse than that. And that's the way sin begins. And that's the way unrighteousness begins. So that sin is crouching at the door and it is seeking to devour us, to take control of us. And that's our nature. But Jesus came to be like us. And a few weeks ago we talked about his temptation. He went through that temptation as a human being so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest you know what? This word high priest, where does it come from in Hebrews? It comes from the Old Testament. Who was the high priest? Whoever was designated that year to be the priest. From ancient Israel. It was the law of Moses. But this writer of Hebrews calls Jesus the high priest. Did you know that this is the only place in the Bible that calls Jesus the high priest? Jesus is the high priest. 17 times in the book of Hebrews, it mentions high priest, and most of them are in relation to Jesus Christ, that he is the high priest. No other author in the New Testament ascribes to Jesus as he is the high priest. Wow, this is amazing stuff. I think it's of significance to us. The writer of Hebrews makes it very, a very valid qualification here, saying, for assuredly he does not give help to angels in uh, verse 16. But he gives help to who? He gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Whose son are you? 
Whose daughter are you? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you received him? You're a son. You're a daughter of Abraham who had the same faith in the coming Messiah. And he took his son up to the mountain and had it demonstrated in a three-day scenario of going up and sacrificing his son. And again, God spoke so clearly through that demonstration that when Abraham got up there, or was going up there, and little uh, Isaac, maybe he was 12, 13, 14, we don't know. But he says, Dad, I see the wood. I see the fire. Where's the lamb? It's okay, son. It'll be okay. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Don't sing that song that way. This is serious stuff. And you think, God's a provider. Got lots of money. No, that's not what it's talking about. That is so, so base. It's not the right description. God is providing life and forgiveness and wholeness and bringing you into his family. He's providing for you an eternal relationship with himself. How? Through his son, the Lamb of God. God will provide. And Abraham says it there when he sees the ram caught in a thicket. He had told his son, God will provide. And in that context is, God will provide for himself the Lamb. Amazing story. See how the Bible is all tied together? Jesus is the, is the Lamb. He's also the High Priest. So that he might become merciful, faithful High Priest to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation. Okay, anybody know the dictionary definition of that? Have you ever used this word? Has anybody ever used this word? No. But it's an accurate word. That's, I think, the reason why in the New American Standard and also the ESV, they they use the word propitiation. It's an accurate word that tells what this is all about when one person takes the place of another. It means to substitute. It means exchange of a place. I'm the guilty one. Jesus is the one hanging on the cross. That's what that means. And that's what all of the temple worship, that was what it was focused on, is on that lamb or that animal that was being slain. All those sins were put upon that animal. That is what propitiation means. It means sacrifice in place of. And so Jesus becomes then not only the high priest, but he becomes the sacrifice as well for us, the lamb. Amazing. 
the conclusion is, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. How many of you think that's good news? It is. Since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able, he is able, and that's the, the whole point of this passage, I believe, is to show the efficacy, the validity that this is why this is so important to us. Jesus is able to take you through temptation and to make you to stand in his power, his life. That's the way to live the Christian life. There's no other way. There's no other tricks. There's no other little things. Well, uh, can you tell me, Pastor, I'm struggling with temptation. What can I do? Look to Jesus. Ask him to be Lord of your life in this area. Ask him to be part with you. Walk with him. Talk with him. Share your thoughts with him. Share your life with him. That's how to walk the Christian life. Otherwise, the Christian life is virtually impossible. We have a merciful Father, one who understands us. He's walked in our place. And I've shared this before, that as a young boy who had just come to Christ, junior high, sinning, knowing I sinned, and I thought, when I read, he was tempted in all points like we are. I thought, yeah, because he was God, and I'm not God. It's not fair. It is not fair. I didn't understand the full gospel. And the full gospel is, I just need to come and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for your forgiveness. I don't have to have this attitude. You did walk in my place. You did accomplish for me that which I could not do. That is walking the Christian life in victory. Confessing your sins, laying it on the Lamb of God, who is the high priest who will lift it to the Father and say, my son is forgiven, my daughter is forgiven. Wow. That's living in victory. In Christ alone, in Christ alone, I stand. He became the high priest, the sacrifice, the scapegoat, and the fulfillment of all scripture which concerns us. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that we stand free because we have come in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you are the one who, in your sovereign knowledge and wisdom and ability to, to bring about the reality of your son coming to earth, living as a man, a human being, taking upon himself 
the sin of the whole world. Surely, this man is the Son of God. Thank you. And we give thanks in his wonderful name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.